When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Playing Around. I'm your host, Paige Renee. We have Teddy G with us today and you have some exciting news. Oh, Paige, it finally happened. We have added Bo Harrison Greenstein to the family. Five and a half pounds of just pure cuteness uh, in Australian mini lab. And we picked him up Friday. Oh, how's it been? Mini labradoodle. Got it. Really screwed it up. <laughs> labradoodle. Let's go. Come on, Teddy. Get it together. How's it been? Because I remember the first couple nights with Nico were brutal, like brutal. We were up every you know, a couple hours taking him out. He was crying. We were also trying to crate train him right away because they said that's the best possible thing you can do. Yeah. But it was tough. Like three nights, four nights into it, I was like, what have we done? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you know, we've had babies, so we know what the ultimate torture is. (laughs) (laughs) You know what it's like to just be in survival mode for, for like a six month stretch. I mean, I'll never forget, like, I would open the door and I would see my wife and she'd be like on a bouncy ball. We'd have like the baby on a pillow. You're just doing whatever you can to get this kid asleep. You know, the looks of sheer terror and exhaustion. So this is not as bad, but I will say this, like the bulk of it is falling on my wife. Uh, She's a consultant. She's kind of between gigs right now. So she can give uh, Bo a lot of attention and he's been I took him out at like midnight and then I guess he was up two more times last night. So not ideal, but you know, he's so cute. You can't get mad at him. How's she handling it? Cause I know she was not wanting a dog for the longest time and now she has all the responsibility. How does that happen? <laughs> she, exactly. On mother's day, no less. <laughs> where she, she gets about five hours of sleep. Well, I mean, this definitely was her initiative. So she's dealing with it and we're doing, you know, the good parenting thing. Like my kids had three soccer games Saturday and Sunday. And I think the high temperature was like 48 degrees all week. So dad 
was in charge of taking the kids to the soccer games, which allowed her to hang out with the pup. So she is totally loving life. And he is just uh, soft and cozy and just wants to be held and had his tummy and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> age, it is going better than I can hope. Oh, that's good. Did you guys have a good Mother's Day too? We did. Yeah, pretty chill. Like uh, she just wanted me to go out and get pick up like bagels and smoked salmon. I also like picked up some quiche and some fruit. Oh, fine. Um, and then for dinner, we uh, or she didn't want to go out to a restaurant and leave Bo alone. So we just got our like favorite uh, super thin pizza and um, there was a soccer game. So chill. It was like 48 degrees and rainy here. This is not exactly, you know, go out and uh, hang out by a park all day. Um, so it was uh, it was chill. It was relaxed. Um, I did a little stuff for my mom who's in New York. I uh, sent her a card two weeks ago. I usually have that like, it's like the Monday before and I'm like, shit, do I have to FedEx this now? Do I need <laughs> yeah. to it? And I roll the dice on the mailman. Uh-huh. So this time I got, uh, I got the card out early. I found the key is this. Here's another reason for everybody to have kids. You make your kids do the card, yeah. which are much more adorable <laughs> and free. And that's what you send along with your own card. And, uh, you know, in this case, their grandma appreciates it way more than whatever card I purchased. No. So uh, how about yours? I want to hear all. It was good. We didn't really do much either. Um, hung out with my mom. She wanted lasagna. So my dad made lasagna and salad. And then we went for like a nice long walk because she loves Nico so, so, so much. Like more than she loves me. Like she loves that <laughs> dog so much. So we all just spent time together. And she was feeling pretty good about herself because I put a post of the two of us, which uh, got a lot of traction. Yes. And um, it's this picture of us literally like right next to each other. It's a selfie, but we look identical. Like our faces look literally exactly the same. And I'm a spitting image of my mother. We had the same mannerisms. We talk the same. We do everything very similarly. We, I mean, my, our body types are exactly the same. Our faces look exactly the same. So it's funny when people, you know, see us, you know, either in like a picture or in person, cause they're like, this is creepy how much you guys are like twins. We're literally twins. I wasn't sure how much I'm allowed to say about this other than your dad is a very lucky man. Your mom will probably be approaching 3 million Instagram (laughs) followers before long. I mean, that she looks stunning in that picture. There's no doubt. Yeah, no, she, um, and the crazy part is she's in her sixties too. So I think people were probably assuming that, you know, she had me really young, which she didn't. She was like mid thirties when she had me. So she looks great, which is good for me because that means that I have a pretty good, you know, long lasting career and some good genes. So <laughs> as I like to say, when I was, you know, considering who I was going to marry, you, you really want the good stock. Yeah. You look at the mom to see what the daughter's going to look like when she's older thousand percent and there were a couple moms not to be whatever but i was like um strike against yeah no she she looks great and she's i mean she's literally my best friend we have done pretty much everything together especially since she homeschooled me from you know fifth grade until college and she helped me a lot with my golf game she would literally spend every second with me and like on the golf course, she would stand out there all day long, watch my swing, um, mentor me. We 
do everything together. And we're still like that too. Uh, she's always like the first person that I call, the first person that I always want to hang out with. I'm always asking for advice and everything. So it's, uh, she's, she's so, so, so great. And it was fun to just kind of like hang out with her yesterday because uh, through all of this quarantine, uh, my yeah. parents were, you know, very strict about everything. And so I couldn't even really go over there and spend much time with them. And if we did, we were, everyone was masked up. It's my dad's at high risk. And so they were just trying to be, overly cautious. And so yesterday was like the first day that we were able to like sit down, have a meal, talk and, you know, just like spend time together. It's always been just like over the phone or like we live very close to each other. So like screaming at each other from each other, you know, balconies. Um, but to like finally be in the same place, having a meal and just feeling normal was so nice. Are you kidding about the balconies? Are you guys in shouting distance? No, we like literally are in shouting distance. Like we can <laughs> open our door up and Nico will run out and run next door. So the way it worked oh, out, we're in the yeah. same apartment complex and we were looking to upgrade. We I had just had like a, you know, like a studio apartment and we need I need more space. And so the only available um oh, what's the word? Unit? Unit. There we go. <laughs> it's a Monday. It's also it, it's a ga- it's a gambling term, so that's probably why. I know <laughs> yeah. So the only unit was that was available was the one that was right next to them, and so we're like, is this going to be weird? It's going to be awkward, but it's really been great <laughs> because you know, like when I'm gone traveling, they just come. My mom will come in. She'll do my laundry. Wow. My dad will cook. We'll have like dinner over there. <laughs> so you know, I'm pretty spoiled uh, that my parents still like do everything for me if I would want them to. And like, they're so great. When you go to Denver, how are they going to handle that? You know, it's fine. Cause I like in college, it was weird. I didn't really have any communication with them. I'm one of those people. If it's, mm. if it's like, we're separated, I'm not good at keeping up communication. So I hate phone calls. I hate FaceTiming and I really don't like texting. And so and I email you said too, you hate, <laughs> I hate emailing more than anything. And so when I went to college, I didn't talk to them like at all. And I, it was almost worse too. I felt like if I did talk to them, I would miss them so much. And so I went, you know, my junior senior year was a little bit better because I, you know, you grew up, you start to miss your parents a little bit more. Um, but my freshman, sophomore year, I very rarely talked to them at all. Like not even texts, uh, phone calls, nothing. Wow. That's yeah. fascinating. Like turning the faucet just on and off like that, that uh, resolutely. That's weird. So what is the only way that you like to communicate? Okay. So, so you're good in this setting. And then is it like, Instagram DMs or like well, <laughs> no, what's acceptable I, for you? I think I don't like communication now because I'm constantly on my phone and I am always replying to messages and emails and Slack messages and it's just constantly overwhelming. And yes. even through Instagram with the DMs, you you respond to someone. And then they respond back. And so it's like the more people you respond to, the more time you have to keep responding. And so it's really difficult to keep up with, you know, everyone and everything. But I'm really trying my hardest because I felt during quarantine, I let a lot of relationships go before that. And so I tried to, you know, I had the time. So I was reaching out to friends that, you know, I haven't talked to since college or, you know, my really good friends. And I felt bad because when I was traveling so much, I just kind of forgot about everyone. And I was a bad friend and I I wasn't taking the time to reach out and call them and text them. And so I reconnected with a ton of people during quarantine. And so now I'm really trying to do a good job of like 
text back and respond and be really responsive. And I do that with my parents now too. Like they would text me and I would never, I never text them back. Probably because I was like, I'll see you guys later. But I, I just pick and choose who I respond to. And now I'm really, really actively trying to make an effort. You do, you have to make an effort to keep relationships yes. up. And that's something that you know I definitely need to work on. And so I've been, I feel like I've been doing a better job now. Yeah. Like with my parents, I always try to give them some FaceTime with my kids. Yeah. And now that's one of the really cool things about having a pup. Like it's a new like social hub. Yeah. You know, like people, people want to come to the house to visit yeah. just to see Bo. People want to see him on FaceTime. But I have a random thought in terms of like parents and getting in touch. Um, did you ever see the movie 127 Hours? So it's about this dude, Aaron Ralston, who was canyoneering in Utah. So he's played by James Franco and he falls and this boulder traps yes, his arm. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I was interviewing him um, for an event. So I rewatched the movie and, you know, one thing struck me, like his parents, I think specifically his mom had called him like the day before and he was home and he let it go to, you know, what was in an answering machine. Yeah. And because of that, he didn't let her or anybody know where he was. If he had let people know where he was, he wouldn't have been down there for 127 hours, I don't think. I mean, hey, wouldn't have made for a great movie if it was six hours instead of 127 <laughs> hours and he hadn't had to cut off his own arm. But it like reminded me, and it certainly reminded him, like, don't blow off your parents unless it's an emergency. Take the call. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think you go through those phases in your life. I remember, you know, being 18, I resented my parents a little bit because of, I think, being homeschooled and spending so much time with them and not having like a normal life and being pushed so hard to play competitive golf. And then when I went to college, I was like, wow, this is a whole new world. How did they never introduce me to any of this? And so I didn't want to talk to them. And so now when I got a little older, I was like, man, I miss my parents. I love my parents. Like my parents are the best. And you do go through those like ups and downs. I saw a meme today. It was like, when you're 13, you get a text from your parents and you're like, oh, how dare you? Then you're 28 and you're like, I'm just going to text my mom. The grass looks very green today. And it's like, you do that. You start to like appreciate and respect your parents so much more when you get older. And you just think as a parent, you just have to like fight through those, you know, like awful teenage years. And, you know, cause we all come back around and I think we do respect them and realize how much they've sacrificed and how much they've done for us. It's so funny with that. Like I have a friend who was so annoyed uh, with her dad because her dad, you know, like wouldn't contact her for like long stretches. And then I was there, you know, when her dad is calling and she's not taking the call and like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like annoyed that he doesn't. And then when he does call, (laughs) you blow it off. So I totally understand that with your parents. I'm glad you're in a great place with them. That's huge. Yeah, no. And we've always been in a really great place, but I think college, I was, you know, a growing period for me. And I was just just fighting through a lot of things and that was not the best time in my life. So I'm glad I've overcome that. But besides that, I (laughs) had some rage thinking of rage. I had some rage pretty recently and I wanted to talk to talk to you about this. And so I sent you the link to the video, but recently Rick Shields, did a podcast with Sophie Walker and she's amazing. She is a former LET player. She's now doing media work with uh, Sky Sports and golf instruction. She's amazing. She's awesome. So she was on the whole podcast and I was listening in. They ended up coming to this question 
And it really rubbed me the wrong way. So it was, is Paige Sporanic good for golf? And Sophie answered the question very eloquently. Um, She was very kind to me, very supportive. And I'm so thankful for that. So thank you, Sophie. And I, when I first listened to it, so I, I first listened to it on the podcast because I really wanted to hear Sophie's story. And I, I wasn't that bothered by it in the moment. And then the next day, they put up, they clipped out just that section of it, put it up on the YouTube, and they used my profile picture. If you guys haven't seen it, it's me holding two golf balls by my boobs. And for me, it's very funny. It's really on brand. I just like that picture. And I think it really encompasses everything that I am on social media. So they used that picture and they didn't tag me. Mm. And I was really frustrated by it. And I started to get tagged in the video. Mm. And when I responded back to a comment and I basically said, you know, I don't need to defend myself anymore. I don't need to explain or justify how I make a living and if I'm a good or bad golfer. I mean, who cares? And I'm so sick of this question because it's been five years, five years. And this is a, a, a constant question that is always asked. And it is really frustrating. I feel I've established myself in the industry. I have done a lot of work with a lot of very big companies. I had I decided not to go the OnlyFans route. I'm really pushing f- forward and doing things that are positive for the golf community. And Rick Shields ended up commenting to one of my comments and said, you know, good job. Keep pushing through. I'm a fan of yours. And that is what rubbed me the wrong way. Because mm. when you look at the clip, Rick said nothing, nothing positive about me in the clip and also nothing negative. He just sat there. And I like Rick. We have had a ton of communication over the years that has been very positive. If he's asked me for something, I've always been willing to do it for him. And I thought we had a good relationship. And why didn't he defend me? Why didn't he sit there and say, she is good for golf. She brings new people in. She is a good player. Why did he just sit there and say, and that is what really pissed me off the most. And the other co-host too he had this comment. He said, hi, Paige. I hope you got a chance to watch the clip or at least skim through it. We definitely didn't just use you for clickbait, although we do love views. Let's just go back for a second, just off of that. So the video that they posted got 105,000 views. Yep. There are other videos on that channel, 16,000, 17,000, 13,000, 25,000. They used <laughs> me for clickbait at my expense. They knew that question was going to create some kind of controversy, which I don't, again, I get it. We're all in media, but tag me in it. Tag me in it. Why did he just sit there in silence? That's what bothered me the most. Yeah. And and I guess I have to throw that question back to you. What's your theory on why he really didn't respond one way negatively or positively? Well, don't have a podcast if you don't have an opinion. I would have respected him more if he didn't, if he said, you know, I don't respect what she does and I don't think it's good. Or if he came out and he said, I do respect what she does and I think it's great. I think he did it because he has more of a traditional golf audience. And I think he was, he didn't want to get hate one way or the other. And so he just decided, okay, I think it's better to stay silent on this matter and have Sophie handle it. But then it, 
he put really Sophie in a very difficult position because it's like pitting two women together. And what was mm. she going to say? I mean, it was going to be tough for her either way. And I think he just didn't want to have an opinion and get hate. And then again, it's like, why have a podcast if you're not going to have an opinion on a matter that you asked someone else to answer? Yeah, maybe. Right. Maybe he actually is not so much in the page camp, but he felt it would have been awkward if he said that because then he's got uh, Sophie on there. It, it can be awkward to disagree with the person in front of you. Plus, maybe he's going to look like a sexist. I don't know. I, I don't I don't know Rick's content. And they also got on the subject of influencers and they were shitting on influencers. And I'm like, I'm so sick of these guys in the industry shitting on influencers when they're an influencer. Mm. If you are selling products and doing digital content, you're an influencer. Uh, My golf spy did this as well, where they put up a meme making fun of influencers um, selling, you know, like shitty products. And I'm like, you guys literally sell products on your website and through all of your socials. You're an influencer. You do the exact same thing. I just like, I don't get why all these guys are like on their high horse and they don't want to admit that they're an influencer. They're doing the exact same thing that all of us are doing. None of us are any different. And we need to all create diverse content. If we are all making the exact same content, we're not going to grow the game of golf. You can't say if someone's good or bad or for golf. I have millions and millions of followers. Clearly, I'm good for golf. I'm bringing people in who maybe don't play golf. They just like sports. This is their first introduction to it. I make it fun. I make it relatable. It's, maybe it's not the content for everyone, but that's fine. That's totally fine. There's other content out there for other people. And it's like, I just, I'm so sick of this question. It's been five years now. Why are we still asking if I'm good for golf? Such a bullshit question. So you can never look at this and say all publicity is good publicity. You can't look at this and say, well, it's great that they're talking about me because there might be a few people out there who didn't know about me. Now they're going to click and find out. Like, is is that your issue of why they didn't tag you in, in the first place? Or you think, they didn't tag you because they were like 1% embarrassed about it. I think they're probably 1% embarrassed about it. Also, yes, I always take like any publicity is good publicity, but stop asking if I'm good for golf. And <laughs> that if part you, should be known, right? Yeah, but, it, but if you have an opinion on it, I just felt like they used me for clickbait. I'm like, clearly you just answered your question. You used my image and you used this question Clearly, I'm good for golf because you wanted the views. I drive engagement. I know what I'm doing. I will never sit here and say nothing, Paige. I <sighs> have strong opinions on stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I hate to see you upset about stuff like this. It should be clear to people that, look, like there's a PGA Tour event coming out Sunday and Rory's in the lead and can he hold on? And people out there are genuinely curious for your take. There are also a lot of people out there who feel the same way you do that, you know, clubs are too stuffy, whether they're private or public, and you should be able to go out wearing leggings or whatever you want. Um, especially if it's just a driving range, not a course, wear a t-shirt, who cares? Just, just go out there and participate in golf. So, um, you know, the people who don't realize that you're good for the game right now, I, I think are probably just jealous or like 175 years old. <laughs> I think I'm, Mostly hurt, not just about the question, but that Rick Shields didn't defend me. And I thought I considered him a friend in the industry and someone I always thought I had a pretty good relationship with. And we had this understanding of what we were doing and a mutual respect for each other. And I think my the reason I'm so upset is the fact that he didn't he didn't say anything positive about my game or what I'm doing. We're both kind of doing the same thing and we know it's hard and 
we were there for each other and then he wasn't. And that's what hurts the most. That's that's why I think this bothers me is because it, no one ever publicly defends me. And that's why, you know, Sophie, thank you so much for what you said. Really does truly mean a lot to me, uh, more than you'll ever know. So guys, go check out Sophie Walker. She is so cool. She knows her stuff and um, follow her. She's a good follow. So we'll move on from that and get into the Wells Fargo Championship because it was... <laughs> Pretty interesting. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We're going to recap that. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Wells Fargo Championship, and it felt like a major, almost. It had the excitement, had all of the big-name players at the top. You had some players that, you know, are making kind of like a quick comeback that we haven't seen in a while. But it was very, very exciting for just, like, the Wells Fargo. It was amazing. Start with the fact that Phil Mickelson, of all people, <laughs> he shot 64 in the first round, didn't he? Yeah, seven under. I was shocked. Shocked. <laughs> well, we were right to be shocked because uh, God bless him. But that was uh, that was the outlier. That was not, uh, you know, he could not sustain that for four rounds. So we had the Phil interesting story on Thursday. 
Then we've got the Bryson story on Friday where he's so convinced he's going to miss the cut that he flies privately back to Texas and then learns that he has screwed up and needs to fly back to North Carolina at a 2.45 a.m. flight, probably costing, I don't know, six figures. That's not my world. I don't know exactly how these NetJets deals work, but it's probably pretty expensive. You had to get multiple crews going for him. And then you've got Rory. And I feel like, Without Tiger, it's Rory and Jordan Spieth are the two biggest names in the game. And obviously, Rory has had this drama where he's not won, he's not finished, he's missing left, he's missing right. He looks so good, he plays so good, all of his quotes are on point. We love Rory. And then for me, I had some betting sweat on the line. <laughs> Victor Hovland with my pre-tournament selection, I also bet him a top five at five to one odds. I jumped on the Rory train Saturday. I got him a plus 350, which was a lot better than my initial bet of Rory to miss the cut at plus 300. That didn't quite happen. And um, the tournament had it all, including a dramatic finish on 18. Yeah, it was really exciting. So let's first get into Phil. Do you think he's ever going to make a full comeback? Do you think he's ever going to like win again? Because <laughs> he has these flashes of brilliance, you know, where you start to be like, oh my God, the Phil of old is back. But, you know, he is getting older and he's been playing more on the Champions Tour, but he still has it. I mean, to shoot seven under was, I mean, pretty impressive. But do you think he can keep it up for all four days? Well, I mean, it's like, I think you tweeted, you know, some days you feel like you can't miss. And then some days you feel like you can't even grip the club and have literally no idea what you're doing. But the best players on their bad days can still shoot 71, right? Yeah. And he can't, he can't shoot 71 on his bad days. Like his bad days are 75. And as long as we're talking about four round golf tournaments on tough courses, they ain't no way. I mean, I would love to see it. You know, I love Phil and often defend <laughs> Phil, but it's not going to happen. I mean, what's where he's so great is, you know, the jabs that go back and forth mm -hmm. with him and social media and Joel Damon um, saying, hey, it was an honor. You know, it can be an honor to play on the best guy in the Champions Tour. So stuff like that that flies around now is really good. Phil is funny, always has an opinion on everything. He obviously would be a great podcaster, always has an opinion. He would. Oh, yeah. He always has an opinion. Yeah. Do you think it's it's not a lack of distance. I always feel like when the guys get older, the reason they can't compete anymore is they just don't hit it as far as they used to. Do you think it's because he hits it a bit wayward that he's not strong enough to get it out of the rough now? Or like, what do you think is missing in his game where he can't compete? Because again, it's like, he'll have these flashes and you're like, he can do it. Like, I, I think Phil can do it. And then next day, she's like a 74, 75. You're like, no, he can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like he has brought this up that he just can't focus as well, which is sad. I mean, I'm basically the same as Phil's <laughs> age. So, I mean, but I've never been able to focus for 18 holes a couple times in my life. That's what he says is an issue. Like, you know, if he's over a ball and maybe he hears a fan, obviously, you know, spectators are back or the click of a camera or something happens in his mind that sort of gets him away from it. Yeah. And, you know, I think we saw an example of that. I believe it was Friday and it was the 17th hole, par three, where there's water on the left. And that hole was like killing the lefties. I don't know if you saw Bubba Watson yeah. attempt to hit the green on Sunday, <laughs> but he missed by 20 yards. I mean, the lefties were all screwing that up. So Phil hit it in the water on Friday and ended up, you know, making double there. 
So I think that's what it is. Like, it's just hard to focus um, for four, four and a half. Maybe these guys play five hour rounds, less the physical, more the mental. Yeah, I can see that. Bill playing well is good for golf, though. Another thing that's good for golf is Bryson DeChambeau because he always has a weird storyline. I swear, every single tournament, the most like bizarre thing happens to Bryson. This one I found really funny. I think he handled it really well. And um, he took a selfie of him in his gym. And he's like, just a quick workout before I head back to the Wells Fargo. And I like that. I like that. You know, he was honest about it on social media, too. I think sometimes the reason I have an issue with Bryson is I just don't feel like he's being very authentic or genuine. And he didn't make any excuses. Like, someone was right. like, why did you do this? He's like, because I thought I missed the cut. You know, he wasn't like, oh, I just need to get a quick pump in and, you know, sure. refuel on my protein. Like, he wasn't fake about it. He was just <laughs> like, yeah, like, I fucked up. I went home. I thought I missed the cut. Now I'm coming back, you know? And I think... Bryson needs more of that. And I think if he is more honest and more authentic, I think people are actually going to like him because I don't think he's a bad person. I think he's only, he rubs people the wrong way when he is trying to be someone that he's not. Well, this is a troubling trend, Paige. If you can't hate on Bryson, uh, it's going to be a very short list of golfers that you can, uh, <laughs> that you can rip. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. I, I thought when you were saying he's going to refuel his protein, I thought refuel his jet. Yeah. Right? He's going to make up some for that. But um he did. And how about the fact, I mean, he played so well Saturday. Mm-hmm. He ended up finishing tied for ninth. I mean, he had a pretty funny, you know, line about that. I think he made like 200 and he made $230,000 for finishing T9, <laughs> which he said would actually cover the cost of the, of the extra flights. Uh, but maybe it was close. So he did, he handled it great. He came back. He, you know, had like no sleep. Maybe he had like an abbreviated warm up, and maybe more guys should think about that. Like less sleep, Less warm up, less time to think about it. See ball, hit ball, because to go from sure you're going to miss the cut to a top 10 at a not quasi major, but it's played on yeah. a major championship course like that was awesome. Yeah, no, it, it was it was good to see he handled it well. But the feel good story of the week was Rory. We well, I was so wrong about this. I did not see this coming. I will admit that I was dead wrong. When we did our range on Tuesday of last week, I was like, Rory is done for now. He is not going to win for a while. He'll win again, but I just don't feel confident about his game and his mental state, and I just don't see him doing well. He's going to miss the cut, and you also agreed that he was going to miss the cut, and then he wins. And it's Rory's one of those players where – you just never know. Like he yes. could go out there and when he's on, he is by far the best player in the field. And his game looks so solid. His ball striking. Mm-hmm. He still looks a little unsure over his putts. I think that's always one thing that's going to hold him back just slightly is that he just looks uncomfortable. He just never looks like he's going to make it even if he's having a great putting week. He just looks uncomfortable. But then all of a sudden, Rory will just like, he'll win one week and then next week he'll shoot in the 80s or he'll like miss the cut by a mile. And it's so weird watching him play because it is one end of the spectrum and the other there. You just never know what you're going to get for him, but it's always great when he plays well and he wins. He gives great, like you were saying, great interviews. It's cute to see, you know, his his little girl and his wife and he's just so genuine and he is really great for the game. And so it's good to see him. Back, but I don't even want to be like, oh, it's good to see him back in winter circle because he could then shoot 80 at the PG championship. Like you just don't oh, yeah. know like what when he's going to show up or like what's going on with him. And I don't know 
if it's his swing, just the way that his swing is, or if it's more like his mental state determining how good or bad he's going to play, but it's all over the place all the time. He's still missing drives to the left in key moments, Mm -hmm. which at some courses will really, you know, kick him in the ass. And it almost did again. Like if he had had only a one shot lead going into (laughs) 18, that was really going to end up costing him. Cause I think he, you know, I don't know if he had needed to make a four, does he try to chip back in the fairway? Does he run into more trouble? But he had the two shot cushion and he used it brilliantly. But I mean, with Rory and a lot of these guys, it's like when the supermarket tabloids take a photo of the celebrities and say, they're just like us. Yeah. <laughs> they are just like us. I mean, his bad is 74 <laughs> and my bad is 94. But it, but it is but, though. I feel like Rory is one of the top players. Like when, you know, a, a Tiger or JT or like any of the guys when they're playing their best or even, you know, Jordan Spieth when he was at, you know, the top of the world, he was, he would have, a, his bad would be like a 74, but Rory's right. bad is like high. Like he goes <laughs> high and it's weird to see. I was about to look up what he actually shot to get cut um, at the Masters and at the Players Championship. But yeah, I mean, he was really fighting it. And I mean, and that's why yeah. you and I both thought he was going to miss the cut because it's one thing if he was, Missing his drives left and right on just like an easy course. Um, I mean, even the Masters is giving off the tee. Like Wells Fargo is tight. I mean, that was one where you thought, you know, it's impossible to miss and to win. Is it though? Because I remember watching Jason. I know it is, but I remember watching J- Jason Day when he won at Quail Hollow and he was missing it everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. I know we say that it's tight, but we've also seen people win when they're not hitting it that solid too. He had that short par four where he missed it way left. And then he was kind of behind a tree, but it was such a short hole. He was just able to chip it to the back of the green. I thought like he had a couple chips that were just amaze balls, And that's yeah. how he was able to like save par, you know, it's like, if you can, for those guys, you know, if you can save par on your shitty holes, um, when I play, my goal is like, if I'm having a bad hole to make bogey, right? I just don't want it to be worse than a bogey. Those guys, when they're having a bad hole, they want to make par. And when they can do that, you know, that is the key. But yeah, to your point, his rounds, uh, he missed the cut at the players 79, 75, and he missed the cut at the masters 76, 74. So that was uh, some bad stuff. And he had, yeah. And he hadn't played in a month. Yeah, it's just weird with him, like how high he can go sometimes, like out of the top players. Because, like I said, when he's on, he is by far the best player in the field, like by far. Yeah, I mean, he is probably the best driver of the golf ball in the last, you know, ten years since Tiger, um, since Tiger's had a descent. You just feel like he just sets up perfectly. He's the right size. Everything yeah. about the drive, like if he doesn't hit it flush, you're shocked because he is the absolute master of that. Um, but how about on 18? How about listening uh, to his caddy? I thought that was a brilliant move. I thought maybe he was going to kind of pitch it out to the left mm-hmm. and give himself a shorter shot in because I think he, he about 185 or 190 yards yep. from the rough, a ball that looked like it was about a foot below his feet <laughs> to, you know, it, it's a decent size green, but there's still trouble left and right and everything. I mean, that shot was incredible. An eight iron from like 185 or 188 or something. 
Yeah, that's why having a good caddy is so important because they help you through those difficult situations and keep you calm and keep you focused on what you're doing. Um, caddies, a good caddy is vital to the success of like what you're going to do because I'm who knows if that's would have been his choice of play if he was yeah. on his own, like what he would have done. So it's always interesting to like if players would would the scores be as low if they didn't have caddies or which players would, you know, benefit more if they didn't have caddies or if everyone didn't have caddies, would different players be successful? So yeah. I think that's very interesting. Like caddies don't get as much credit and Rory's caddy was pushing the baby stroller too. So he's, he's <laughs> a man of many talents. <laughs> Full service. So shout out to Harry Diamond and shout out to Keith Mitchell's caddy, uh, Crunchy, Crunchy Pete. Who you don't like Keith Mitchell, who we have to talk about. You find him annoying. So... Here's the thing. I don't know him. I've never talked to him at a major. So it's easier for us, for me just to be like a jerk and just be totally superficial. Um, maybe he's the nicest guy. Maybe, you know, something about him. I don't know anything about him. Okay, good. So I can go ahead. First of all, anybody (laughs) who waggles that much is incredibly annoying. Oh yeah. Kind of like, um, Keegan Bradley too, with his little fidgets like that. Yes. If I was playing with someone like that, that would give me so much anxiety. Just watching. I'd have to like turn around 100%. and not watch. Yeah. Why do I have to look at that? Yeah. You know, or like back when Sergio was in his waggling oh. phase and he would yes. read 27 times and at, at Beth page, they just started counting. <laughs> I love New York crowds. But like, all right, so that was annoying with Keith Mitchell. Also, he just looks very grim. I mean, maybe it helps him like not to smile or laugh or whatever. But like, I gravitate to the guys who show emotion. Also, I'm not a fan of his shirt. He's got this like open (laughs) shirt situation going on. Don't like that. Don't like the visor. It's like a 1980s style visor. Got like 17 companies printed on. There's just a lot yeah. that I didn't like, but mainly it was because I had action on Hovland, on Hovland and Rory. So I needed Keith Mitchell to get out of the fucking way. And he did. So we were texting a little bit yesterday and, you know, he was missing putts terribly. Like they yeah. had no chance of going in at a certain yeah. point. And I was not upset to see it. It was hard to root against Rory and Hovland and even Gary Woodland, who I think are three of the nicest guys and easiest people to root for, too. They're very friendly. Um, No one's really said a bad word about any of them. And so I think that's why it's like he was just the one outlier in such a great field where it's like you're rooting for all of these guys. And it was great to see Woodland also having kind of like a bit of a comeback too. I mean, he definitely struggled since he won the U S open. And so for him to coming right into form too, um, with some majors coming up, it's, it's really great to see, but yeah, it was like, it's all these really great guys. And it's like Keith Mitchell just like stuck right in there. Like that would be such a bummer if he, (laughs) yeah, if he won compared to, you know, it's great when that Rory ended up pulling it out. Gary Woodland, and I think of him and John Rahm, I don't understand how they take it back so short and hit it so long. Well, even like uh, Finau, too, who let Tony me Finau too. big time this Oh, week. yeah, nice pick, Paige. I will, I'm never <laughs> picking Tony ever again. You've heard it here first. I am never. He's on my shit list. I yep. love Tony so much, but I'm never picking him ever again. Yeah, ever. I think he's 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 definitely earned that. You know, we also do a top 10 segment on the range. <sighs> Maybe just out of spite, you should pick him as a top 10. You know, no, no, I'm done. This course, no, no, no. This course was perfect for him. If he was going to win, it was going to be on this golf course and he missed the cut badly. So, nope. 
he's he's on my shit list. Sorry, Tony. There were some weird missed cuts. I mean, you <laughs> saw Can- you saw Cantley coming, so that was a good one. But uh, I mean, Max Homa, what in the actual fuck? I mean, I had a lot of first round action on him. <laughs> And I click on the computer. We did like name of bats about him. Like we were all about Max Homa. I mean, I didn't know what his tea time was. So I feel like it's just like mid morning on Thursday. I'm clicking on PGA tour.com. And I'm, looking like, at scrolling, scrolling, and I'm like, scrolling, 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 scrolling. I'm like, there's something wrong with the leaderboard here. Cause it says like Max Homa's six over. I think there's seven. I'm like, there's obviously something. There's been a mistake. How can this happen? <laughs> Oh, poor Maxi. He'll, he'll, he'll come back. I Maybe just exhaustion. He played, you know, three three weeks in a row. And that's really hard for those guys when they play, you know, like multiple weeks in a row. I'm sure yeah. they're just exhausted by the end of it. And especially probably having a bit of a letdown, too, from the tournament before where he was, you know, yes. on pace to potentially win and then had a rough final round. And having to regroup and then go to a course that you've won at before and all of the media obligations that you oh, have. Oh, please. And this is a lot of excuses, Paige. I, <laughs> I'm just trying to make the media obligations. It is yeah. tough, though. Like, it was very, when I had to go to Dubai when I had the um, sponsor invites, I had very little time to practice. I was doing media from eight in the morning until four o'clock at night. And then I had to try to fit in a practice round at the very end of it. And I could only do nine whole practice rounds pretty much at a time because of all of the media obligations that I had. And then the next year I was there, I did get there like a week and a half early because of all of the obligations that I had again. So it is very draining. And I don't think people realize how tough it is and how still it's so impressive that Tiger was so dominant with all of the obligations that he had like thinking about now it is so impressive like what he has done because that is just it's so difficult it is so hard time out i'm calling bullshit on that so i was already going to mention tiger before you did because (laughs) here's how he handled media obligations no his guys just said no to everything like yeah dan jenkins the greatest golf writer who's ever lived tried to get a one-on-one with tiger over the span of about five years and his idiot people said no. You don't say no to Dan Jenkins. The guy's a legend. You should be honored if Dan Jenkins wants to speak to you. So Tiger's people, sure, I guess you could say did him a favor. Maybe he would have won one or two fewer golf tournaments if he had actually done more stuff. But like his pre-tournament, we like he would do, you know, one on like I think like Tuesday morning. Yeah. That's certainly when he would do it at the Masters and almost nothing else. So if you had wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> to not do obligations for six hours or whatever it was, hire tar- Tigers people because they said no to everyone. Well, so it's probably harder for someone like a Max Homa who probably feels obligated to say yes to pretty much everything because he's not at the status of, you know, one of the top five players in the world yet. Yeah. And I think it is harder for those guys that are a tier lower that they don't have the luxury of saying no to media obligations. And so I think it is harder for those guys because they say yes to everything. They must feel like they have to do everything. And they're probably getting asked a lot more because they know that they're going to say yes compared to, I'm sure people just stopped asking Tiger for anything because they knew the answer was going to be no. I I still was trying. I mean, the one that will always baffle me (laughs) is like, so there's an area here on the South side. So there are these two courses, Jackson Park and South Shore. Yeah. So they came up with this idea because these are like two, you know, they're probably a century old and they've got some good bones and they're on the lakes. They have a nice view of downtown Chicago. 
So the idea was, what if we combine them into like one super course and we could have the yeah. BMW championship there. We could have like a caddy program that would give like, you know, summer jobs to African-Americans. It's in a tough neighborhood. There were so many great reasons to get this thing going. When and was then, it? What year? Uh, well, I mean, they came out with the idea, I don't know, maybe 2013, 14, Got 15. Okay. I've been writing about it forever. <laughs> and then just various things have gotten in the way. It, what they want to do is they want to put it, it would be right near the Obama library, which okay, has also yeah. been stalled. So a pretty big deal. And guess what? They hired Tiger's TGR design firm. I mean, so so you're talking about now Tiger and Obama and back it was Rahm Emanuel and all these big time people who, um, you know, wanted to get involved, Rahm Emanuel being the mayor of Chicago back then. Yeah. So things were looking great and, um, Tiger's people were good. Like I, I I had the scoop on the story and they said, Hey, we're not going to let anyone know, you know, you can break it in a month or whatever date it was. So I break the story and that was cool. And then I'm like, can I have five minutes on the phone with Tiger to talk about the project? I probably gave them a window of, I don't know, three or four months. And it's his own project. Like you think the guy wants to talk about it. It's literally, he's promoting his own project. I'm not talking to him about a fire hydrant. So of course they said no to that. So then I get to the masters and I'm like, can I just get him off to the side for five minutes to talk about this project? No, it's a major. We don't want to do it to it. We don't want to do that to him. It's like, give me a fucking break. It's five minutes. Like, are are you serious? So anyway, I ended up getting him in a group. It was fine, but they just made it so much more difficult than they needed to. So. Sorry about the rant, but, uh, you know. Yeah, no, and I, and I get that. And I, I see it both ways because I have been on both sides of it where, you know, we've had guests or wanted to get guests on the podcast or like try to do anything with them. And it's so difficult to get them to do anything. Yeah. And it's like pulling teeth and, you know, it's like your tiger was different, but some other, you know, like lower celebrities are like, who do you think you are? You know, it's like, just carve out some time. This is not, you know, a big deal. Like you can get done. But then I also like, I've been in that situation where my schedule has been so busy and someone will ask for something. And it's just the thought of it is so overwhelming that yeah. I, I just have to say no to it. And, you know, so I do see both sides where it's like, sometimes you just can't handle another media request or you in I could I could probably fit it in but at what cost you know yeah. you have to think of like your mental health and like not being too overwhelmed and so it's like you know Tiger is getting pulled in all different types of directions and so it's like I get it but this is also a cool thing so it's it's hard to like hate on someone for saying no because I do understand it but it's like come on like this was cool like this is something that you could probably do yeah and his younger days let's be honest he had enough time on his hands. <laughs> if you get what I'm saying. And I think yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. So we got to talk about <laughs> something else that has been in the news recently. It's the Premier Golf League and the Super Golf League, which yeah. has been very confusing. <laughs> do you, did you no. know any of the details about oh. either of these new leagues that are trying to come out? Paige, it is, it, it's exhausting just starting to try to study up on this. I'm so glad I'm not no longer a golf writer and I don't actually have to do this. Like Alan yeah. Shipnuck, our, our friend at Fire Pit Collective. Yeah. He did a great story about this. So, you know, I took down some notes from his story. You've got the PGL, the Premier Golf League, and then you've got the SGL, the Super Golf League. 
So according to Alan, the SGL is Saudi money. So that's good. S and Saudi. So that we can, <laughs> we can keep in mind. We can remember <laughs> 10 to 12 tournaments a year. And they're talking about like guaranteeing players $50 million a year. Then you've got the PGL, which is more like an American Euro type thing. January to October tournaments in Florida, Australia, Asia, and Southeastern United States ahead of the Masters. And these would be 48 player tournaments vying for $20 million purses, including $4 million for the top player. I find it all very confusing. Uh, I don't even really want to think about these possibilities. Uh, what is your what is your take? Like if you were if you're Dustin Johnson right now, yeah, you're loaded, but I guess these guys all want more money. What do you think you'd be doing? <sighs> So I could see someone like a Phil Mickelson or even like a Ricky Fowler. So they're big names, maybe not competing. But I thought it was top players. <laughs> but that, but I'm, that, they're big, they're big names, right? Like I could see them potentially going over there. I don't see any of the top, top players in the world doing this because I think if you do the Super Golf League, you're not going to be able to compete for majors anymore. So are they willing to give up winning majors for $50 million a year? I think you're really going to see the character come out of a lot of these guys. And are they really playing for money or are they playing for, you know, future accomplishments? But for the players who are not vying for the majors anymore. I could see them potentially going to like a premier golf league or the super golf league, but then at the same time, it won't be successful unless you have the top players in the world doing it. So it's almost like an all or nothing type of thing. I don't think it's going to be successful if you have just like, you know, third tier players in the, you know, premier golf league. It's no one's going to go and watch them. It's going to be such a waste of money. But here's the thing, like Jay Monahan of the PGA tour, the commissioner, I mean, he's threatening the players. But as you well know, the majors are not conducted by the PGA Tour. And also, I think like lawsuits and whatnot, I don't think you can prevent people from entering tournaments. Just but would because- it be counted as world ranking? That's what I'm saying. So if you don't have a high enough world ranking, you would not be able to play in the Masters or any of the majors. So you would probably have to go through like qualifying for the U.S. Open every single year. You would not be able to play the PGA, the Masters or the or um yeah the open, the open championship so yeah. if because unless they start to recognize the super golf league and the premier golf league as a a, a verified tour right they are able to you know have those points wins go towards their world ranking points so yeah. it's very confusing i don't really understand it i don't think a lot of people really understand it but that is why you're seeing the new you know pip thing come out because they're trying to get exactly. these top guys more money so they don't feel like they need to go somewhere else i think pretty much it's just like a leverage play from the players at this point i think they're squeezing jay monahan's nuts like whatever they're <laughs> trying to get out of the pga tour or whatever I don't know if it's more money or more, you know, if there are certain things in the schedule they don't like. Uh, this is a smart way to do this, to say, hey, these guys, these, these rich guys, either from Saudi or Europe or Australia, are asking for us. They want us to play. So let's have you, you know, address our needs here. So, and the PGA Tour does that. I mean, we all remember, what, five, six weeks ago when there was a hot mic on Jordan Spieth. And he was talking about Rory Sabatini's, 
girlfriend, I think it was. Um, and that was probably embarrassing to them. So what happened? Like now there are no, there are no more hot mics picking up player chatter, right? Because I'm sure the players are like, stop that. So, I mean, there's some quotes here, like Phil Mickelson, you know, said, I think the fans would love it because they would see the best players play exponentially more times. And again, like, I don't know if this includes him. I obviously Phil's a big name, but if he's going to be getting his butt kicked by the other, you know, by the true top 20 in the world, that would be tough. I thought Ricky Fowler's quote on this was very, very smart. He says, it's definitely interesting. I still think the tour is the best place to be. We'll see what happens, but I'm happy where we are. That's the smart way to handle it, to say, hey, let's get more out of you, Jay Monahan, but ultimately we're going to stick with the PGA Tour. But at this point, how much more do they need? They are making so much money for just hitting a ball around with a stick. Like that, I, I can't believe you are calling golf that. You know how hard it is. No, and I and I know it's hard. I get it's hard, but you look at all of these sports and these athletes, and they're signing these contracts that are just insane, insane. And then you look no. at teachers who are like molding the minds of our next generation, and they're getting paid twenty five thousand dollars a year, and these guys are complaining because they're not, you know, they're making twenty million dollars plus a year, and it's like we need more, 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 more. Yeah. You're a professional athlete. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that is more money that you could ever dream of, and you want more money. More, it's why is it always more? Like you're like, you're right. Like the PGA tour does everything in their power to protect the players. Whatever the players want, the players get. Yep. And again, it's like, what else? You're yeah. already making millions of dollars on tour, plus the millions of dollars that you're making and endorsements, plus the millions of dollars that you're gonna make through this new PIP program. It's like, what else, guys? Seriously, are you Great that question. fucking greedy? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I mean, what sucks about it is like golf, they've always said is like the ultimate capitalist sport. Um, <laughs> like in the old days, I mean, if you missed the cut, you got no money. I mean, yeah. you had to like pay your you always have to pay your own expenses and own travel. And um, you know, they're independent contractors. So now there's more protection. Obviously, if you met, you know, if you just qualify for the field but miss the cut, you get some money. What I think these guys want at that highest level are guarantees, which is why they go and play these events in Saudi Arabia, right? They want $5 yeah. million just for showing up. And that is kind of sad because, right, golf is always that sport where if you didn't perform well, if you shot 74-74, it was, you know, sayonara, basically. Will you lose respect for players if they go to the Super Golf League or the Premier Golf League? I'd have to know more about it and what their motivation is. It would probably only be money. I don't yeah. know what beef they would have with the tour. Um, I, I guess I have two minds on it. I mean, I, a few events would be cool. If it was just like the top 20 or top 40 guys, just from like an entertainment standpoint, there definitely are still dead weeks on the PGA tour, but like sometimes those quiet weeks produce, you know, champions like Sam Burns. So, you know, you have to win your first event somewhere and like Sam Burns won, at the Valspar. And that was like a great thing for golf. And um, so you have these weeks where maybe you're not watching golf. Maybe you're watching another sport for a while. Um, you know, there is a thing, there, there is a sense of there's too much ice cream. Like we have four majors. We don't want five or six or seven majors. No, There's a tour championship and a player's championship and a Ryder cup. So there's like seven weeks a year where golf fans are just like guaranteed to watch. Maybe 
people want that number to be 11 instead of seven. Um, but I'm pretty content with how things are. I agree. And I feel like within golf, everyone is so hesitant for change that I'm even surprised that these leagues have gotten this much traction because I feel like everyone in golf, especially golf Twitter, would out be outraged by a completely new schedule. Everything would be changed and we wouldn't have as many tournaments here in the States, which, you know, I actually don't think is a bad thing. I do like that the Premier Golf League would be a little bit more global. I yeah. think that is something that a lot of people would be really interested in. I think that would be a great way to uh, grow the game of golf. I think if we were ever going to add a fifth major, it should be um, outside of the United States. And I think that would be very interesting for a lot of people. Um, but besides that, I think it's just too much of a change. And I don't think it'd be good for golf. I don't really see too much of a benefit of it. Yeah. But I think that also is because I just don't really know much about it still. Like, I yeah. feel like a lot of the details are very secretive and it's confusing. And I don't know if it's like a real threat, if this is something that could potentially actually happen or yeah. if this is just all hearsay. It is very difficult to keep up with everything that's going on with the Super Golf League and the Premier Golf League. Two other thoughts. Like, I think the league, uh, uh, I should say the tour, not the league, <laughs> has been sensitive to like players for a long time complained about the FedEx Cup tour playoffs because yeah. there were four events and it's already like late in the season. And then, you know, they used to be played in September. So they're fighting with football for ratings and yeah. getting their ass kicked by football every week. So I think the tour was really smart. Like the whole shift in schedule that happened a couple of years ago, you know, where the PGA championship is now played in May and like everything shifted. Um, has been like really, really beneficial. So props to the tour for that and props to the players for speaking up. But here's one other thing. If these two tours or one uh, affects tournaments like the Travelers Championship, that would be a disaster because, like, that is one of the great kind of hometown events. It's in yeah. Connecticut every year. It gets a great field. There is so much money generated for charity by these events, and such like a warm feeling where you know folks in Connecticut can't really see tour players much if unless they're going to go to you know Beth Page for U.S. Open every seven yeah. years mm -hmm. or. Um, you know, or it's great for, for the economy too. And exactly. those, yeah. yeah. So you don't want to lose that. Like you don't want to lose what the events mean to Charlotte and mean to Detroit for the rocket mortgage. I That's know that is like too. one of the best, you know, events for the year for them. I mean, That's that right. really stimulates the economy for Detroit. It's great for that one is particularly great for minorities. They do a lot for African-Americans in Detroit, um, honoring like past legends. So the more I think about it, Paige, the more I hope these two potential leagues completely fail because, right, it, sure, it's the opportunity for the top one-tenth of one percent to make more money. And maybe it would be a slightly, you know, it would be more entertaining for TV-wise. But I'm telling you, yeah, if it hurts like the local events on the PGA Tour, thumbs down. Well, and also, too, I think that the guys on tour have a lot of freedom and they're able to have a lot of control over pretty much everything. If they go to like a super golf league or a premier golf league, who knows if they would still have that same type of freedom that they have on the PGA tour. Yes. So when they're, you're, let's say you go to the super golf league and they're like, you know what, can we not do this instead? Or, you know, can I do this? Or maybe not as many media obligations or whatever they want for that week. 
well, what are they going to say? No, fuck no. You, we're paying you $50 million a year. You do what we want. And I think that in the same for probably like the Premier Golf League, like they're going to have not as much control. They're basically just going to be puppets. I think for these guys, we're on tour. They have a voice. They have a say. They pretty much run the tour. And I think that is a, they're going to have to really consider that. Like, is it worth the money? But then being, you know, almost like puppets for these guys yeah. to do whatever we want, whenever they want, or is it okay if we get just a little less money? We're still making our millions and millions of dollars yes. in our multi mansions with our seven cars. Like, yes. but we have the freedom and we have the, the support of the tour to do whatever we want, whenever we want. I think that's something that these guys also need to think about too. Yeah. I, I know I've worked with other companies where maybe it's more money, but they have more say, you know, and yeah. sometimes it's better to work with a company that isn't giving you as much, but you do have more say in it. So you ha- there's always trade-offs for everything. Yeah. You can probably get by on $20 million a year. You probably don't <laughs> need to make it $40 million a year. Just guessing. I'm not in that world. Um, and I think that's very true. I mean, I remember there was uh, a company that was starting like... They were calling it like a Webio. And it was going to be pay me a nice amount of money for like two hours a day. And it sounded, yeah. it sounded too good to be true. It was too good to be true yep. because the finance guy ended up getting indicted and I think he's probably still in prison now. And like props to Rory McElroy, because when this came up a couple of years ago, he said, uh, no, I'm suspicious of like who would be funding this. Yeah. And I'm not interested. So I, they've like written him off. Uh, they're not trying to even involve Rory. And I think that, you know, speaks to his character. Um, ethics and character and all that stuff. Okay, we can move on from all of the league talk because I am distracted by this this tweet that you sent me this morning and you need to explain it to me. I I don't know what's going on with it. It sounds very bizarre. Yeah, Paige, I'm glad I didn't have any uh, action on the Kentucky Derby (laughs) because maybe I would feel totally robbed assuming I did not have uh, Medina Spirit. But at 12 to 1, Medina Spirit won the Derby last week and then it came out that uh, that horse failed a drug test and it's a big deal for so many reasons, one of which is Bob Baffert is this legendary trainer. I think that was his seventh Kentucky Derby. So he says he's totally innocent and didn't, you know, put artificial substances, drugs in this horse. And here was the best part. This is a Twitter feed of uh, Rick Bozich, who's worked in Kentucky and Louisville. Yeah, uh, forever. He's an, an amazing sports writer. Bob Baffert says one test issue was created by a groom urinating in the stall after the groom had been taking cough medicine. Horse ate some of the hay. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a fake story to me. Is that the greatest excuse? I mean, can you imagine, why didn't Mark McGuire or Rafael Palmero think of that one? You know, oh, somebody peed in my cereal and that's how it got into my system that's how fake the story sounds i mean like this is the biggest horse race of the year and they're gonna let some drunk guy stumble (laughs) in to one of the stalls and pee on the hay you don't think they have like 24 hour surveillance and that the trainers are not standing there 24 seven monitoring the horses. Like what are they talking about? Yeah. I think we're probably going to label this one uh, horse shit. Uh, This excuse and Bob (laughs) Baffert's going to get in serious trouble. I mean, he's now it's not the first time too. He gets in trouble a lot, right? Gets in trouble a lot. You know, now he's calling it cancel culture. Trump is calling the horse a junkie. I thought that was that was kind of amusing. So like people don't know which side to be on. Um, 
just the fact that like, look, he's, he might be like Bob Baffert has been temporarily banned from Churchill Downs. I think this would probably like destroy his reputation. This would be the third horse in Kentucky Derby history who would be stripped of the title. So crazy shit going on here uh, in Louisville. Okay. I got to say something because the Kentucky Derby gives me like bad vibes. Like when I was watching it, I was like, this is not okay. Why? It just felt weird. Like the whole thing felt weird. It was almost like Augusta National on steroids. It just didn't feel right (laughs) to me. And like, I feel bad for the animals at that point. Like, if they're actually juicing these horses that is so so sad to me like they have no say in the matter i mean it's different yeah. when it's like with a person who obviously has the voice to say yes or no in the situation but these horses are helpless they are literally just there to run and to perform and they have no other choice they're literally yeah. whipped into doing this and now that they're injecting them with foreign substances that really really upsets me yeah the part that is very upsetting and uh you know this still needs to be revealed but i guess trainers have done this or they're tempted to you give a horse drugs so they don't feel any discomfort and can run faster. And of course that's like so dangerous because if they are injured, yeah. What if they have an injury and need to pull up or, you know, whatever is going on with them that they need to slow down. So that part, I'm like going to cry. That makes me so upset. There's just something like about animals being so helpless in the matter and so innocent. And if you do anyone, if anyone does anything to animals, like they deserve the worst to ever happen to them. It just like, I can never let that slide. That really bothers me. I hope he goes to jail. I hope that he has a horrible, horrible, horrible life because you you can't do things to animals. Yeah bothers me beyond belief it's fascinating and then i the other fascinating element is i mean the guy's already cemented his legacy like he's already won six of these yeah you know why people like this if he did what he's accused would take that chance like why do people become so obsessed with winning that their reputation is so unimportant compared to winning a seventh derby but then you have to think back and you're like, okay, is this his first time doing this? Like, obviously he's sure. had issues in the past and it's like, are these people, and this goes back to like a bigger discussion, I think that we've had before in this podcast where it's, we look up to these people because they're winners, but a lot of them aren't winning the right way. They have done things like, you know, juicing or exactly. cheating or doing all this stuff. And are, are they winning like is winning everything? Is it always about everything? And do you have to do something like that to be a winner? Like, do you have to do a win at all costs type of attitude? And how many of these top people in the world are actually doing things that are not legal in the sport? Like, when you look at like Lance Armstrong. There's been Absolutely. you know a ton of rumors <laughs> around a lot of top <laughs> athletes, and it's like okay, we glorify these athletes for winning, but a lot of them are doing it by cheating. Yeah, I mean, the Lance Armstrong thing is fascinating because it sounds like in cycling, then, if you didn't cheat, you had literally no chance to win, which is not to excuse him because the guy's a total snake um, in (laughs) terms of how he handled, you know, the way he attacked his accusers and like went after them personally. Yeah, it was was disgusting. Baseball's been interesting because 
those guys weren't doing it to win like Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Rafael Palmeiro. They were just doing it for their own stats and wealth and greatness. Um, you know, Sammy Sosa, if you gave him a choice of winning the MVP or winning the World Series, I promise you he would say winning the MVP. Like that was yeah. much more important to him, like making his name, making $20 million a year. That's what mattered to him. So that's why those guys did that. I mean, even with Sammy, like beyond taking steroids, like he got busted for corking his bat, which again is one of those things like, don't you realize like if you get caught, your reputation sucks? So the only logical response is he must have been doing it for a long time and not getting caught. You know, it's not the first time you ever bust out. No, that it's not the, it yeah, it's not to, the first yeah. time. And that's with like all of those people too. And it's like, what are they actually doing, you know, week in and week out to yeah. be better and how much of it is actually legal? And do you have to sacrifice your own morals to be number one in the ro- world? Like what does it actually take to be number one in the world? Like, I, I think that's why you look at someone like a Steph Curry and, I, and he's just so naturally gifted and talented. Yeah. And I don't feel like he would ever do anything, but it's like, you don't know. Like you literally like looking up at these athletes as role models and you're like, I don't, you don't know anymore because it's been so many times that people have like come out and something bad has happened or they're cheating or they're doing something. Like, I feel like you can almost tell now which ones are natural and which ones uh, are not, but you don't know because the science is so progressive now sure. that they could be taking something that is, you don't even know about yet. Well, and then there's like that blood swapping that goes on in countries where it's legal. These athletes who fly to Germany and then Tiger Woods, you know, he's got these injuries and he's trying to rehab and what's legal, what's not. I mean, it is a gray area. But there's cheating in all industries. I mean, you you sure. look in business. I mean, people are, you know, doing illegal activity in business. You look at modeling or even like the industry I'm in with media work. Um, people are getting a ton of plastic surgery. A lot of women are getting butt implants and then selling butt workouts and making a huge living from that. That's like a huge Yikes. controversy that's going around right now. So you look at every industry and people are always trying to get advantage to get ahead. I've considered doing that, getting some butt implants <laughs> and then really rebranding myself for, for the butt workouts. <laughs> Good. You make millions on like these girls are actually making millions of dollars and profiting off of the insecurities of other women. And it's all fake and they're never transparent about what they've had done or like what they're doing to actually achieve that body. And either it's through, you know, surgeries or Photoshop. But it, it's pretty disgusting. It's so like the beauty and fashion industry and the fitness industry that's all profiting sure. off of like women's insecurities and, you know, yeah. it's all fake. Is it easy to tell when a woman has gotten butt implants? Yes. Yeah, it is pretty easy. It isn't and it isn't. I mean, there's definitely been times where I've been fooled by it. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, like girls will stuff their leggings with butt pads. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, this is a real thing. Um, Photoshop, you can usually see like the walls are curving, but it's crazy now that you can actually Photoshop videos. So I can put, we talked about this before. I can put a face filter on that will completely morph my face and no one will know. No one could tell. I'm sorry. What happens now with the morphed face? Yeah. So there are filters that I can go on Instagram and put a filter on my face. It will make my nose smaller, my lips bigger, my eyes bigger. It'll smooth my skin out. But you can do that also with your body. So I could do a video where I can make my waist smaller, my boobs bigger, my hips and my butt bigger, and no one will know like at all. 
And so it's really crazy, like how that, you know, we talk about, you know, steroid use in sports, but, you know, that is just as bad or even worse in an industry where you're profiting off of what you look like and it's fake. Yeah. I feel like somebody I follow on Instagram, no names, always uses Facetune for her photos. And it's like, (laughs) what are you doing? It doesn't, to me, it doesn't even look real. It just looks kind of desperate. Yeah, I mean, a lot, and usually you can tell, um, but I think it's really hard when girls get, um, it's called like BBL, so Brazilian butt lifts. So they suck the fat out of like their stomach or like, yeah. the inside of their thighs and then insert that into um, their ass. And they say it's more deadly than open heart surgery, oh, but all of these women are getting it done. And that's like <sighs> what looks, I think, the most natural if you get it done the right way. Um but if you get an actual like implant in there, you can almost see the line in the crease um, along your skin. But Oof. it's so hard to tell because surgeries are getting so advanced now that right. you don't know like what people have had done and what they haven't had done. And it's also scary too. So you feel the pressure of like the most beautiful women in the world are now getting surgeries and things to make them more Ugh. beautiful. And you feel like you have to do it. But I have made an effort to not use filters to try not to, you know, like morph my shape at all. I'll like do some, you know, quick Photoshop, just like smoothing the skin. But I'm really trying to be like my most natural self. Cause if I show up to an event or if I'm doing video world work, I don't want to look different than how I look like on Instagram. Like that would be, yeah. Like that'd be the worst thing ever. I never want to feel like I'm like lying to someone I'm working with or cheating my way through it. But it is, it's, it is difficult. Like I, I tried Botox like earlier this year and yeah. I had such a horrible experience. And like, if really? you look, yo, yeah. If like you look back, my face like was not moving. My eyebrows were like this and it was, it was, it was bad. People were like, did you change your face? Did you do anything to your face? I'm like yes <laughs> i hate it <laughs> i, I can't like even it. respond to that page <laughs> hey, you're in your 20s why are you taking botox well be- because again it's like that societal pressure of having to Ugh. look and be perfect and when i'm constantly you know critiqued online about you know looking older or my face or my body or anything not looking a certain way it definitely gets into your mind it's very you know it's a toxic environment and you know i'm honestly like i profit off of what i look like and as i'm getting older i want to still look better and better and so you hear of preventative botox or you know little things you can do here and there that are going to be better but the truth is it's not better you know like sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's good but like don't feel the pressure to have to do that and if you are doing it be honest about it so people online can know like what you're doing and why you're doing it and you know I, when people were like, your face looks different, I didn't say anything because I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I felt like I had to do that and I never owned up to it. And I, and people were like, yeah, you look different. I'm like, I know I look different. Just wait like three to five (laughs) months and I'll be back to normal again. (laughs) And was it unpleasant, like the actual act of it too, or it was just the results that were bad? The whole act of it, like my face, like I'm a very expressive talker and I felt like I lost my personality and my face and like, I couldn't, I couldn't move. And I was just like sitting here like this. And like, when I was like smiling and moving, I couldn't do anything. I looked fine in pictures, but in videos, you definitely could tell. And I think it was also because we were like, I was about to do a ton of work with points bat and I wanted to look my best for, and it was a, a ton of in front of camera work. And I was like, 
okay, this is what everyone else in the industry is doing. I should do this. I need to do this to keep up with everyone else. And I didn't. I was like, fuck, I hate it. (laughs) This is terrible. It changed like my face and I don't want to change my face. I like my face the way it is. (laughs) I have a friend in her, in her forties and she uses Botox and kind of swears by it and says it's good, but I will not be going down that path. I'm happy (laughs) being a guy and feeling way, way less pressure to look a certain way. But it's crazy. A lot of guys are now getting it done too. And they're getting sure. a lot of fillers and like their jawline. And wow. so everyone is constantly, you know, tweaking yeah. their appearance and doing things that are different. I just wish people were honest about it and honest about everything too. Like I have no problem with steroid use in sports. I just wish people were honest about it and were upfront when either they were caught or why they did it and not blame it on like someone peeing and hay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't mess with the horses <laughs> and don't have a bad excuse when you're busted. <laughs> I think we have time for one TNA question, and I'm going to pick this one. Is it more important to have fun playing golf or do the required work to get better? <laughs> this one's this one's interesting. So you have to, it's both. So yes, sure. you need to have fun playing. And I think that's the most important thing is to have fun. I think people get too caught up in what they're shooting and focusing on their swing, and they end up actually yes. hindering their golf game by doing that. You need to focus on the right thing. And I spent so many years practicing the incorrect way. And I'm finally learning how to practice now and save a lot of time doing so. You have to practice with a purpose. It is quality over quantity. You don't need to spend five hours on the driving range. You could spend 40 minutes and that could be your entire practice. So it is um, good drills on the driving range, doing lots of chipping and putting drills, but practicing out on the golf course, I think going out either first tee time in the day or the last tee time and playing, you know, nine holes or as many holes as you can get in and playing on the golf course and practicing on the golf course. So one drill I really like to do is tee off with two balls, play the worst ball. Next one is on putting. If you leave it short and low side, you draw back a club length. So there's like little things you can do out on the golf course or go out and play with five clubs. You only get five clubs. That's what you need to do. It teaches you how to be creative. Yeah. Um, works it, you know, it works on getting touch with your hands, um, with chipping, try to chip with a different club than you've chipped with, you know, previously. Yep. So these are all really great fun drills you can do on the golf course. But I recommend if it is possible to do it on the golf course because you get so much better. Sometimes it's hard to translate what you're working on on the range to the golf course. But when you're already doing it on the golf course, you just have that level of comfort. I really can't relate to anything that you talked about, (laughs) although I've played holes where we say you can only use a seven iron just kind of to mix it up. The whole worst ball scramble thing, I think is kind of cool. Like Hank Haney wrote that he would play against Tiger that way and they would actually have a good match because Tiger would, you know, hit two off the tee, (laughs) has to go to his worst spot. Yeah. Hit two irons onto the green, have to go to his worst spot. So to make a birdie, then he has to make both putts on a part four which is crazy. And so if you ever, if I'm playing with you, maybe I'm, maybe that is how we're going to even things out. You're going to play, play worst ball, ball scramble. Oh, if, you, no. if you still beat me that way, I'll give you odds. We'll get our points bet traders to, uh, to set some odds on that. Cause that would be truly humiliating. Well, I think we'll have to do that. Um, but yeah, no, it's fun when you get to work on things on the golf course. And so I also put a lot of interesting content out on my YouTube channel where I show all of these drills and give you some other cool games. So check that out. And also coming up, just be on the lookout for all of the points bet content. We're doing mayhem. So it's, um, we're doing hockey, 
uh, basketball, the PGA championship. So all of that will be coming up very soon. So make sure to subscribe to the PointsBet YouTube channel and then also follow all of the PointsBet social accounts because we're going to be putting out tons of content, doing uh, lives for all of these events. It's going to be so much fun. So don't forget to do that. Paige, I will be in Denver this week, company headquarters, meeting some folks, uh, <laughs> getting back together with uh, a bunch, including Johnny, our CEO. And then next weekend, I'm incredibly excited. I have a little mini golf trip to Geneva National, three rounds over three days. So this is a great stretch coming up. And as always, love being on the podcast with you. We're still hoping you will pop in to Denver midweek to uh, hang out with us. I'm a busy, busy person, Teddy people to see things to do. I'll try to fit in my schedule, but no Appreciate promises. <laughs> Appreciate the, uh, the superficial thought. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's a no. So thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. So if you have any questions for us, go to PAR at iHeartRadio.com or you can send us a message at the Playing Around Instagram account. Again, we love hearing from you guys and I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you hope from us very soon again. And thanks, Teddy, for being the best co-host. Thank you, Paige. I loved it. Have a great week. I'll, I'll see you very soon. Yeah. <laughs> Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked, game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco Cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked, your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.